Prepare yourself for the clash of punk rock, politics, and your uncensored, unafraid host, Remso W. Martinez. You are about to experience the Remso Republic. Hey folks, welcome once again to the Remso Republic. I'm your host, Remso W. Martinez. Now, this week, I've uh, I've been listening to a lot of you know, the criticisms you guys have had about the show. And I've got to say, thank you so much for letting me know about what you like. I know some of you want a new game segment back because I know that you realize that Logan Albright, our guest from a few weeks ago, murdered Lightning Round. So I'm still trying to find out something that we could do so that we have something fun and kind of random at the end of the segment for the, you know, bottom half of the show. But so far, we've had great reception. We're gaining more and more traction every day. But one thing you guys keep asking me is, what is a conservatarian? Because, you know, in the great family tree of libertarianism, you've got your volunteerists, your anarchists, your classical liberals, your minarchists. If you meet a libertarian, they probably have some crazy random self-identifier that they probably just made up. But this is something that is catching on. I don't just call myself it because it was a funny-sounding word that I put together. It's actually something that we've seen come up since, I want to say, 2008 with Ron Paul. And with Ted Cruz and Rand Paul, we've seen a more conservatarian bent in the way our politics is. Despite all the crazy progressive nationalism we've seen this election cycle. So I have a guest on today that's going to talk a little bit about that with me. Along with some other things such as the cultural war that we have in our society. But let me go ahead and introduce him. Ladies and gentlemen, he is a professional political analyst, a writer, and the editor-in-chief of the Libertarian Republic. He recently worked on Steve Forbes' latest book, Reviving America, which I still need to get a copy of. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Keith Farrell to the show. Keith, how's it going? Hey, Remso. Great. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. I've wanted to get you on for a while, so it's glad that we finally have you here calling in to kind of hash things out, let the audience hear you a little bit. So, Keith... I'm glad that I got the opportunity to talk to you about this, because when people ask me, who are some prominent conservatarians like yourself? I'm not saying I'm prominent, but, you know, there aren't a lot of people that take on that label, because if libertarianism wasn't fringe enough, I think for a lot of people to come out and identify as a conservatarian is something that's still not necessarily mainstream, even in our neck of the woods. So you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, it's like a subset of a subset at this point. So it's, <laughs> it is, it is ridiculous when you look at it that way. But um, I think a lot of us who are attracted to libertarianism and constitutional conservative ideas find that we don't really have a lot of bedfellows on a lot of issues when it comes to the broader libertarian movement or likewise the conservative movement. So we find ourselves kind of stuck in this unique place where, you know, for myself, it's kind of, uh, you know, I have a little bit more of a uh, hawkish outlook on some foreign policy issues. I um, have more realistic um, uh, views when it comes to national policy and stuff rather than some libertarians who are strident in their uh, you know, opposition of all things government, you know, to the point where they just anything short of wanting to abolish all federal programs immediately is derided as some sort of, uh, 
you know, neoconservative fascist position. So I think for me that I was trying to find this place in between, um, you know, this anarchy bent libertarianism and a conservatism, which was becoming way too socially, um, you know, concerned with governing people, uh, in, in their personal relations. So for me, it was, it's kind of like a, a halfway point in between, uh, libertarianism and conservatism. And I think like you said in the beginning, you know, we have, a, a Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and these kind of guys who kind of embody this constitutional conservatism with a libertarian flair and, uh, conservatarianism is a, is a good way to kind of, uh, describe that. Um, and, uh, Charles, Charles Cook, uh, from, um, National Review. National Review, yeah. He wrote a book, I believe, about conservatarianism. I believe he's the one actually first I coined the term, and I have yet to read the book. It seems like something that is definitely uh, appealing to me, and it's something I've uh, explored myself a little bit in my own writing. So, Yeah, not, not to give you a spoiler for the book, but are you, there's this uh, one article that was written about it. I think it was from Rare.com. But uh, I, I've actually read the book a couple times because it helped me understand kind of where I fit in things. And with Charles Cook, his, his idea was basically there is this group of people who are like us. I think the way he put it was we feel libertarian around conservatives, but conservative around libertarians. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, it's it really makes us the black sheep of the black sheep. It's mm-hmm. like if the black sheep had a red redhead stepchild, that would be us. Right. <laughs> and um, I, I've written I've written some articles about this over at the Liberty dot com talking about what it means to be a conservatarian and to really just kind of condense it down because I don't want to bog people down of, you know, the comparisons and the similarities between conservatives and libertarians. I think the biggest thing was this. I'm a libertarian that understands federalism and the fact that I don't live in a void and I live in a country where there are people who aren't libertarians because I think, and I've seen this being a member of the libertarian party, having worked on libertarian campaigns, it's like we really push just to get that one or two libertarian vote for the election, but we ignore everybody else. And while I'm not necessarily fond of caucusing with Democrats on a lot of things, I think there's a strong number of conservatives that are also kind of like us. It's like in a, in a previous episode I did when I was, con- when I was describing conservatarianism again, I kind of took a twist on what Gary Johnson does to compare, I mean, to describe libertarianism. I basically said, I'm socially conservative, but I'm not willing to let the government go and dictate people's lives to a large degree. And then when it comes to economics, I'm a complete Austrian. But when it comes to foreign policy, I'm a realist because I understand if you're walking around passing out daisies to people, Putin's going to come down with a stick and beat the living shit out of you. Anybody moves, anybody says anything, cut the boy's other eye out and feed it to his father. And then we'll start. You can breathe. You can blink. You can cry. Hell, you're all going to be doing that. Exactly. 
and, and and that puts it well. And I think the, a lot of the problem with the libertarian movement as it kind of grows from being this kind of fringe uh, philosophy and ideology to gaining more mainstream traction is that a lot of the people who are uh, identifying as libertarians right now have an attraction to the idea of being fringe, to being on the outside of the mainstream so that, you know, they can maybe, maybe feels better for them psychologically, or maybe for whatever reason, they feel more naturally inclined to being in a position where they could critique the mainstream rather than being a part of it. But that's counterproductive to political progress. And um, all you have to do is look at the way that libertarians regard somebody like Ted Cruz or even a Mitt Romney with such vitriol. I mean, oh, oh my God, just of Ted Cruz alone, if you were a libertarian that came out in support of Cruz, it was almost like the Spanish. Inquisition. Yeah, it was terrible, and and the arguments they have against him are almost all hy- based in hyperbole, hyperbole, or they are uh, you know, you know, things about procedural Senate tactics, which get really into like complex muddled waters, and you know, I mean, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz decided to uh, you know have a different approach to a, a bill. So, you know, they must, you know, they, one of, one of them must be good and one must be evil. But, but in if you re- go against <laughs> the family, Paul, I'm sorry, the house, Paul, you have to be, you know, a heretic. Yeah. Oh, that, absolutely. That someone literally told me one time they, they, they told me, they sent me a message to my fan page and they're like, Remso, this is back when Cruz was still on the race. He was like, Remso, you're a heretic and a traitor to the Republic for citing of Ted Cruz into Rand Paul on this issue. And it was just like, go, go away. Oh, absolutely. I got a lot of angry messages and emails as well uh, when I came out and supported Ted Cruz because I decided to support Ted Cruz before Rand Paul officially got out of the race because I guess I, I guess I realized Rand Paul's campaign was dead before Rand Paul did. Um, But, you know, Ted Cruz was a great candidate and he's a stronger campaigner than Rand Paul is by far. Um, and I would have no problem backing Ted Cruz again. I mean, again, the guy is, is solid on the Constitution, solid Second Amendment. He's got a history of standing up against special interests. He stood up against the ethanol lobby in Iowa. He, uh, you know, he says that the First Amendment applies to atheists like me as much as it applies to Christians like you, Remzo. So, I mean, here's a guy that we can both say will defend our First Amendment religious liberties equally. I don't see any problem with him. I don't agree with every position he has, but I don't agree with every position that any politician has. And if you find yourself in that place where you're agreeing with everything a commentator or a politician has to say, I think you probably need to stay, take a step back because you're probably not being honestly objective. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you brought up the fringe libertarians that like to kind of remain in their clique because that's what I want to talk about right after this commercial break. Folks, you're listening to the Remso Republic. Hang on tight. We'll be back in a minute. Take the show on the go by subscribing to the Remso Republic on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and YouTube. Don't be left out. For years, the Republican and Democrat parties have used social issues and crises to keep us at odds with one another. They've divided us into groups and pit each group against the other, while those in government have together collaborated to strip us of our liberty little by little. In 2009, I decided to do something about it 
and the Rupert for Senate campaign was born. Government of, by, and for the people requires our participation, not as voters, but as leaders and decision makers. But the parties have made it all but impossible for real, ordinary Americans to do so. So this average American has, since 2009, worked to give the voters, at least of Ohio, a choice outside the parties. The message is simple. The Constitution protects every American equally, but it's powerless to protect itself. That's our job, and it's time we take it seriously. You can learn more about my campaign at scottrupert.com. I'm Scott Rupert, independent candidate for Ohio's U.S. Senate, and I approve of this message. People often ask me what podcasts I listen to, you know, and I'm not listening to old episodes of my own, that is. There are many great out there. There are some that are entertaining, funny, you learn from them, they just give you a great insight you're not going to hear anywhere else. But there's one show that really comes to mind when I think of where to get your starting ground and understanding what open minds and open markets mean. It's actually the show that I listened to when I first started learning about libertarianism. It's the Lions of Liberty podcast with its host, Mark Clare. Mark and his team do excellent things, from libertarians in a living room drinking liquor to Felony Fridays. They have a great list of just amazing interviews, talking to the movers and shakers in the liberty movement. And let me tell you, if you want to get your friends who are a little apolitical or they're a little liberal or a little conservative, but they like the ideas of liberty, Mark Clare will give it to you at the Lines of Liberty. So go ahead, check them out on Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes today, and check it out for yourself. I guarantee you will not regret it. Check it out today at www.lionsofliberty.com. Welcome back to the show. Keith, you're in a very awesome position. I'm actually envious sometimes because you really tap into the bloodline of this liberty community, being the editor-in-chief of the Libertarian Republic. Um, you know, you're, you're in the same league as Reason Magazine, and you surpass so many other of these websites and magazines that come out because you what TLR does is you guys really show every wing of the liberty movement. And because of that, sometimes, from what I see, as many, you know, TLR fans you get, the TLR haters are so extremely vocal, it's sometimes kind of hilarious. Oh, yeah, it's really great. I mean, I'm actually considering compiling a list of the angry messages and angry angry uh, tweets and things we get posted oh, on our I'm Facebook wall. In, I'm going to jump in real fast. I was going to announce this later, but I actually am starting a weekly mini-sode called Remso Reads Angry Tweets. So just a Excellent. quick plug for that. But go, go ahead. Please continue. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have, a, we have a lot of haters, a lot of passionate haters. you got a lot of great fans, too, and that's what keeps us going. And, uh, you know, we're there, to, we're there to serve the people who appreciate us and to get information out to, to new people. But, you know, as with anything... You're going to get a lot of haters. And as you said, we have a wide uh, variety of writers uh, who identify as, you know, all varieties and stripes of libertarian, anarchist and conservative. And we allow them to opine freely. So 
uh, as you said, we try to showcase all perspectives, and that creates interesting uh, discourse, but it also creates a lot of anger because people feel that you know their their view of libertarianism is the view, and if we publish something that is contrary to that, we are now you know heretics to the to the cause, if you will. <laughs> do, do you think you've helped kind of shape the way that libertarians communicate and market themselves in a way? Well, I think so. Um, and I, you know, the, the, the blueprint that Austin Peterson started here is, um, you know, actually quite innovative and unique. And I've been really thrilled to be a part of growing it. And I think that uh, what we're doing uh, has a lot of potential to continue to grow. And, you know, we're launching a new subsection tomorrow, TLR Pop Culture. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep trying to uh, reach new audiences and, and do new stuff and, you know, hopefully continue to grow, compete with even bigger magazines uh, as we do. Yeah, that's great. Now, when when I was younger, when I was just getting into politics, one of one of the sites I used to go to for a lot of my news and kind of insights into more right-wing politics was Breitbart. This is back when Andrew Breitbart was alive. Yes. And yep. one of the things that he led was the culture war because, you know, as socially tolerant as I am, I'm still a social conservative in a lot of ways. I'm a traditionalist. And it's not that I want to use the government to force my ideas and my practices onto other people, but there's a moral relativism streak. And as socially liberal as a lot of the TLR writers are sometimes, I see that you guys have jumped into the culture war on more than one occasion, whether it's attacking um, you know, radical Islam to radical feminism. With this new project you guys are jumping into, you're, you're really taking the culture war onto the front lines. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, it's a... You know, it, it really speaking to the what you were first talking about and how we've uh, decided to delve into it. It was my uh, kind of my prerogative when I took over the reins at TLR to extend uh, the the range of views and discussions uh, to territory that would be a little bit more friendly for some conservatives as well. Um, which I know some of the left more left libertarian writers at TLR are probably listening to this and their heads are exploding because they thought we were already, um, <laughs> you know, friendly for conservatives, but really Heresy. we weren't. <laughs> really we weren't. So, you know, it's been my, it's been my um, job to kind of, because, you know, we want to be a wide-reaching, influential publication. You can't do that if you're only read by people who are self-identifying as purist libertarians. So, yeah, we offer different perspectives and stuff. And the culture war and uh, stuff surrounding culture is something that I found there's a there's a lot of interest around, even even though libertarians will scoff at the idea that there even is a culture war sometimes, they still want to read about it. And <laughs> I mean, it's like watching a train wreck. No one wants it to happen. But if it's happening, I'm going to watch the whole thing with popcorn in hand. Right. And what really got me uh, interested in the culture war is it, one of my uh, you know other hobbies besides politics is uh, I like to write fiction. And I, uh, you know, considering what creating 
characters in, in, in the modern world and the, and the impact they could have on society and how some of these, some of these characters like, you know, Captain America and, and James Bond and uh, even modern characters like, you know, Walter White from Breaking Bad, these, these, these things are larger than life. They're, they're bigger than, than any sort of, uh, you know, news organization or impact of a, a politician can have because they, they, they influence people on on numerous levels um, and continue to for for some time. You know, if you look at characters like you know James Bond or Captain America, it, their influence and prevalence uh, it, it's quite astounding. So when you're thinking about culture and what drives and affects it, you know we can we can curse against the you know the the dawn all we want or curse against the dusk rather. But the, the truth is, is that, you know, sitting there and writing about politics and news is only going to reach so many people. So my idea was if we really want to engage in the culture war, we have to start offering content that people who aren't political are also going to be interested in looking at. So the idea is, is that if we have a pop culture subsection where we're offering discussion about, you know, the latest Game of Thrones episode where we're, we're, we're putting up movie trailers for the, for the latest upcoming big blockbusters, you know, people who are not going to come to TLR and necessarily read about politics outright, they might come to our site through this, uh, through this other subsection. And, you know, when they're there, they may, just look in their uh, little sidebar there and decide that they want to read a piece about gun control or, you know, why, uh, you know, free speech is, is a valuable thing to uphold on college campuses or something like that. Maybe they don't. Even if they don't, what they're doing is enabling us to have a larger reach with our Liberty content because they're going to be, you know, driving traffic and, you know, helping to pay our bills. So that gives us the opportunity to grow and to offer better premium content to our regular readers. So it's, it's kind of like a twofold strategy here. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Some, a method that I've always been a fan of is kind of Salinsky. Like it's don't let people know your intentions outright, but I kind of put them into the things that you do and the things that you say, and maybe they'll, you know, spark an interest in it and want to pursue what you're into a little bit more. Because I think, you know, as libertarians, I I think that we're handicapped because we have such a negative kind of reputation amongst many mainstream Americans. I think over the past six, seven years or so, um, because I mean, growing up as a teenager, when I heard libertarians, I thought anarchists. When I first started hearing about Ron Paul, I'm like, wow, this guy's kind of crazy. It wasn't until I got a little older where I'm basically like, you know, maybe these libertarians are onto something, and maybe this Ron Paul guy is actually onto something. And it's because everything else in the world was just getting so much darker that it made me think about different things. I know there are other people like me, but you know, culture is important, and that's actually why I want to talk about right after this commercial break. Folks, you're listening to the Remso Republic. Hang on tight. We'll be back in a minute. Remso in the mix. What's our problem with messaging the ideas of liberty? Is it the ideas? Is it the people? Maybe it's both. Maybe it's the fact that we're just not doing it 
in a smart type of way. This is where the Libertarian Youth Caucus comes in. The Libertarian Youth Caucus represents the millennial wing of the Libertarian Party. They're trying to expand the party base while finding new ways to communicate simple, timeless principles such as open minds and free markets. What we need to know is how to find the next generation of voters and make them vote for liberty. We can have a smaller government and a freer economy in our lifetime. And I believe that if we want to help invest in the Libertarian Party, the best way to do so is with the Libertarian Youth Caucus. Learn more about them today at lyc.silkstart.com. That's lyc.silkstart.com. This message is approved by the Libertarian Youth Caucus. folks we're back keith i, I want to continue on the topic of culture because you're, you're absolutely right we need to tap into the zeitgeist of readers and viewers and listeners out there and we need to kind of sprinkle in our message so that maybe they'll get interested into other things now with me i'm i'm a big uh dystopian fiction fan i always liked orwell's 1984 and animal farm and brave new world and the hunger games um, mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of the films and a lot of the, you know, new stories out there, at their heart, they're very anti-authoritarian. And I think a lot of people, they love these stories. They love the characters. They love the struggle. They're intrigued by the romance and the action, the adventure. But the same person that could say, oh, Katniss Everdeen is my hero, is the same person that's going to go and vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump this coming November. Do you think that's a sign that maybe we're on the wrong side of this issue? I think the problem is is that those movies tend to depict these these uh, you know authoritarian governments as being these top down openly fascist institutions, rather than depicting depicting the incremental steps, you know, the road to serfdom, as FAA. F.A. Hayek called it. Um, so I think that a lot of the, the the message that somebody who's informed about politics and government might get from watching a movie like Hunger Games might be lost on somebody who doesn't have that background necessarily. But it's important to know that either way, the ideas, you know, that they're exposed to them. Um, and when they do are provided with more information about it in the future, they could probably make those connections and the movie will, uh, you know, speak to them louder, if you will. So I remember learning more about libertarianism and looking back at movies like even Ghostbusters and being like, hey, here's a movie where a free market entity is created to solve a problem that the government doesn't recognize. And then a government regulator comes in and and shuts it down and creates all the problems. I was like, look at that. This is this is a libertarian movie. So I think that when you have a message like that in a movie, even if you don't have the underlying information to put the pieces together at the time, if you learn the prerequisite stuff later on, it'll click, which is why even though some of these people might watch Hunger Games and not get it, I think it's still important that there are stories like Hunger Games out there. And I think that more people should be, you know, we need more libertarians and more conservatives writing more movies and in books and doing stuff like that as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not even fiction. A big example that I like to bring up, especially when I talk to, you know, Democrats and progressives, is the Dallas Buyers Club. Because the left ate up the Dallas Buyers Club. That that was like their movie for a solid year with Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto. Right. But the thing about the film, it didn't at really advocate for LGBT rights at all. If anything, the movie was explicitly talking about how bureaucracy kills. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, take off the veneer. Take off the fact that we got to see uh, Jared Leto in drag years before he would don the green hair and red lipstick in the Suicide Squad. The movie was about guys that just wanted to live and they identified that they own their bodies and that they wanted to try out these new pills and vaccines and medicines that when they and tried to go the, the legal route, it was the FDA. Right. Who was the bad guy in the movie? The FDA. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny how liberals guys. can watch that and have their ideas still upheld somehow and come out thinking, oh, that was a great movie. And not, I mean, it's cognitive dissidence, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's not just that. It's so many more things. But, I you mean, know, they they yeah. they uh, it's the messaging isn't lost on all of them. I mean, and that's why you have them attacking some of these some of these heroes and some of these characters in movies. I mean, Captain America has been under assault from all different sorts of groups, you know, attacking him because he's he's a libertarian because he you know, he's a patriot because he's straight. That's the yeah, that's the biggest thing. I just can't wrap my mind heterosexual. around. <laughs> People don't realize how many times Cap slept around in the comics. Like I've been collect. I actually think that I discovered libertarianism through comic books growing up, not just because of the stories I read, but because I was reading comics and watching the cartoons before Robert Downey Jr. made it popular. This is oh, back. Yeah. This is so back really before cool. girls were wearing. Uh, Avenger shirts and stuff and you know it was sexy to be a geek it was because it was like many other things it was fringe comic reading a comic book was look was looked down upon but you know when people ask me how I learned to read sometimes it was I read comic books before I read an actual book I understood certain plot lines and certain you know story mechanisms through comic books before I read it in any other book oh I think a lot of yeah. kids actually come to it that way i mean for me i i didn't get the comics until i was a little bit older but um you know one of my best friends uh you know he he would attest to the same thing you're saying you know he basically learned how to read uh, because of comics and you know these 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 marvel and dc series that that uh, a lot of people grew up with are you know larger than life the the cultural impact they have is just huge i mean everybody knows what spider-man is even if you haven't read, read a comic or seen a movie you know what spider-man is then that's the kind of impact these things have yeah i mean just just using comic books as an example specifically um i, I think that even though you've got like okay alan moore is a self-identified anarchist. The guy wrote The Watchmen. He wrote V for Vendetta, often films that are hailed as being, you know, the most libertarian, the most anti-statist 
graphic novels and comics of all time. And then you've got guys that are, um, you know, Marvel has a lot of progressives who are their writers. They did a reboot of their entire franchise a few years ago. They called it Marvel Now. And that's where we got Asian Hulk and gay Iceman and female Thor and black Captain America turned Nazi Captain America. And even though they're, it's like they took something that was, because I think that the heroes emulated what was going on in life. They took these anti-authoritarian, these good versus evil concepts, and now they're trying to twist it. Yeah, well, they're they're sacrificial lambs, you know, to be burned at the stake. You know, we have to we have to sacrifice the heterosexual, <laughs> patri- patriotic Captain America because because he's a symbol of of everything that the left hates now. You know, he's he he he's moral and patriotic, and he is unabashedly straight and he's white <laughs> and he's a man. I mean, it can't, it doesn't get much worse. I mean, <laughs> I, I bet he Republican. So, I mean, he, he, must, he must be, he must be burned at the stake. And, uh, you know, this push to, to just feminize him or, you know, they want to hook him up with, with, with the winter soldier with Bucky. They want to make him a couple. It's like, it, it's just too much for me. It, it shows me really, though, they under, they understand, even if it's subconsciously, the effect and the power of these symbols. And it bothers them. You know, there's not enough trigger warnings in the world for Captain America because he's everywhere. He's on the lunchboxes. He's on the kids' pajamas. He's, uh, you know, you can't go anywhere without seeing oh. Captain America these days. So they're just they're, <laughs> if they can't if they can't get trigger warnings and remove it from our culture then they want to just change it so that it suits them kind of like they just did with the ghostbusters oh my gosh i mean on your facebook fan page alone you have captain america holding an ak-47 absolutely that that does not make progressives heads explode just the moment they come on it's like oh what's this here oh it's a superhero what the hell Well, that's why I put it up there. I had something more professional for a while, and I said, "You know what?" I said, "If they want to attack Captain America, they want to. If they want to change Captain America, because the last straw for me is when they decided to make Captain America a Nazi, the the the, the liberal you know commies over at um you know Marvel Comics decided to make Captain America uh, a Nazi." <laughs> oh my gosh! I actually have an update on that, which I can spoil for you, unless you want to go get the comic. No, you go there right was, ahead and spoil there that. There was such outrage, such like outright anger and rage aimed at Marvel. What they did was in issue two of the brand new Steve Rogers Captain America series, because there are two Captain America series right now, one of the Sam Wilson Falcon Captain America and one with Steve Rogers. Right, but, one, um, one with the virtuous commie liberal uh, <laughs> Captain America, and one with the evil Nazi fascist Captain America, <laughs> the one we all knew and grew up with. But okay, yeah, let's I, go I'm on. St- I'm still waiting for you know pansexual, self-identifying Black American equine Captain America to pop up. I mean, I'm just waiting for that to occur. But um, there was right. so much rage aimed at Steve Rogers because in the comics, what happened was he had lost his powers in a fight with this one villain. That's what caused Sam Wilson, the ultra liberal Captain America, to take the mantle. And then Captain America got his powers back through the Cosmic Cube, which for those of you that aren't aware of the comics, you've probably seen it in the Marvel films. 
So he gets his powers back with the cosmic cube, but what because it does is it fans were so angry that they Oh yeah. I mean that you that they made somebody other than Steve Rogers Captain America. But anyways, go <laughs> <laughs> But basically they um the cosmic cube, it brainwashed Captain America into thinking he was a Nazi Hydra spy. Oh, and you know you know that this was something they thought of afterwards because they were adamant that this was this was a great idea of theirs to make him a Nazi. I think with me alone, with the amount of Marvel comics I buy, when I openly said after they did that to Captain America that I'm done buying comics, I think their stock went down. Like I think I think what really day. hurt them is when is when it was pointed out by by Jewish readers that that Captain America was created by a Jew. And you know, as, as a anti-Nazi, anti-fascist <laughs> symbol, and that and that they're and they're they're perverting him to make him into this this you know secret Nazi was an insult to <laughs> to, to the Jewish people who who you know had to suffer through World War II and everything since then. So I think that was what really hit home with them. I don't think they expected that kind of backlash and people to, to, to read into it that way. But when you really think about it, it is insulting. And, and again, it's the power of symbols. Captain America is more than a character. Now he's a symbol and his symbol is anti-fascism. Uh, you know, it's for the individual. It's for, it's for the American way. You know, all the principles we're supposed to have as a country, even if we stray from them sometimes in, in practice, Captain America is those, those ideals embodied in a superhero. And that's yeah. why the left hates him. Yeah, I mean, for me, just growing up as a kid, you know, here I am. I was totally popular in high school. I loved Ayn Rand and Captain America. And for me, oh, yeah. for You're me, all yes. the parties. <laughs> oh, oh, just all the time. You know, girls are just tossing their underwear and numbers at me like crazy. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, Steve Rogers was like a Christian Howard Rourke in a way. Right, it's right. like he did everything simply because he wanted to do it, simply because he knew full well the danger he would encounter being a hero. He knew full well what how he would be ostracized by the world that didn't understand him. And just like Howard Rourke, he was okay with that because what mattered was his self-determination. He wanted to see the results. He wanted to create a better world. Howard Rourke wanted to construct things that would live on past him. And uh, it was just, you know, when, when they tried to make Captain America a Nazi, I, I flipped out. <laughs> oh, it was too much for me, too. I mean, yeah. and, and that's when I really decided I wrote a piece for the Libertarian Republic, which was basically, uh, you know, it was titled Social Justice Warriors Need to Leave Our beloved characters alone and it was between captain america and the push to make james bond a woman i i had had enough i was you how, know. Would, how would that work i mean when with james bond when he goes and sleeps around he's a player with jane bond i mean with uh, I, I don't, no, I don't see you're that not flying. allowed to say you're not allowed to say that Jane Bond can't sleep around and, and still be virtuous, Remzo. That's sexist. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of what, like, you know, the the culture war Avengers would be like. You'd have ultra straight uh, libertarian Christian Captain America. You'd have Milo Yiannopoulos. You'd have. Uh, who else? Have oh, some gosh. sort of transsexual 
um, you know, gender ambiguous uh, character as well. We'll just say Jared Leto from Dallas Buyers Club with okay, a gun. With a gun, we'll say that. <laughs> but um, anyway, Keith, if people want to keep track of you, read your work, follow you, and everything you do with TLR, how can they keep track with you? Well, the best way to do it is probably to follow me on Facebook. It's where I'm the most active, and that's uh, you know facebook.com slash Keith Farrell Public if you want to go to it directly, or you can just search Keith Farrell, and I'm sure I'll pop up on there. Perfect. So, Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a blast having you on, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Remzo. Good times. Good times. Well, definitely, folks, listen in next week for another installment of the Remso Republic. I'm your host, Remso W. Martinez. As always, screw the FCC. Good night, America. Stay connected to Liberty's Rabble Rouser on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episodes, blogs, and other available content. What are you waiting for?